for the most part, we like to celebrate. Uh, humans like to celebrate. They like to celebrate birthdays. Um, yay, you were born. Um, good for you. Woo-hoo, you you're, you're another year here on the planet. Like to celebrate anniversaries. Woo, we made it another year. Janie and I will celebrate 29th anniversary um, this May 25th. Um, most people like to celebrate their high school reunions. My wife does not like to celebrate her high school reunion. Uh, I'll let her tell you that story sometime. But for the most part, we love to celebrate and we love to remember. Well, in, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus gathers his disciples. He's about to be crucified, but before that, he gathers them to, to celebrate and remember one of the most important events in the history of Israel, and they're going to have the Passover meal to remember what God did. It's one of the most incredible um, stories of deliverance in the Old Testament. The Passover was the last of the 10 plagues that God sent to um, Egypt, to Pharaoh, to convince him to let his people go. Uh, And um, so what was going to happen was God was going to send the death angel that night, and he was, the death angel was going to look for a sign. If he saw the sign over the doorpost, then the death angel would pass over that house. The death angel would know that the people in that house believed God, and they were going to obey God regardless of the consequences. And what we learn from this is you don't really believe God if you don't follow God, if you don't obey what he tells you to do. And so the sign was blood on the doorposts of the house. Now I want you to think about if you were to go to somebody's house today, let's say that all of the social isolation, the distancing is over, and you were to go to somebody's house today and they have blood on the two side doorposts and blood over the top of the, are you going to think, wow, this person loves God. They obey God. No, you're going to think, kids, get back in the car. We are getting out of here. Why, dad, we're coming to play. No, 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 we're not not at this house you would think they were crazy right never before had God required this kind of sign God told Moses to to instruct the Israelites to get the best lamb from their herd the prize of the herd lamb not your neighbor's herd because it doesn't cost you anything to sacrifice your neighbor's lamb to get your own lamb and to sacrifice it to kill it to catch the blood then take some of that blood put it on the doorposts to symbolize that they were trusting God Um, This was a very, very huge deal. And when the angel saw that sign, the angel passed over. It's where we get the name of the the celebration and this meal Jesus was celebrating. They would pass over because the blood of the lamb um, covered the sins of the people. And the next day, the Egyptians were crying out, begging the Israelites to leave them because this God of theirs was too powerful. The firstborn Egyptian in every family was dead. They begged the Israelites to leave. And then the Israelites, God told them, ask for for money, ask for, for possessions. And they plundered the Egyptians without ever raising any weapon in battle, without doing anything other than just obeying God. And they walked out victorious. They had their freedom and they had all kinds of riches because of that. And God, because this was such a big deal, God commanded the Israelites to remember the Passover every year on the 14th day of the new year um, uh, for the, the, the Jewish calendar. Now, so here is a, here's a picture of, of what it would have looked like possibly when the dad went out and got the blood and he put it on the doorpost. And so I can, can you imagine this conversation? The, the child, I, I remember when Caleb was younger, we were trying to talk through some of this stuff. Can you imagine when Caleb is six or seven years old, he goes with me out to the, to the herd and we pick the best one and we're about to kill it. And he says to me, dad, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to kill the lamb. Well, what has the lamb done? Nothing. The lamb's not guilty. Then why is the, does the lamb have to die? And I tell him, it's either you 
or the lamb. You're my firstborn. If I don't, do not kill the lamb. If I do not take some of the blood and put it over the doorpost, you die. And I imagine even my eight-year-old son would have said, kill the lamb, dad. You don't have to take my life. Kill the lamb. Let something else be, um, be in my place. So they remembered this for thousands of years. And then in the time of Jesus, they would take a lamb. Go ahead and put that lamb up there if you would. They would take a lamb and the priest would take this lamb. It had to be perfect. It had to be a year old, no blemish, no spot, anything. They would take it and they would sacrifice the lamb at 3 p.m. in the afternoon on Passover. What time would they sacrifice the lamb? Y'all gonna have to talk loud. Three o'clock, thank you. you. You'll be heard. John wasn't here to over overpower your voice. 3 p.m. in the afternoon, after they blew the shofar, the shofar was a ram's horn, and so it would make this noise, and they would hear it all over Old Town um, Jerusalem, and they would know, they would pause, and they would remember that at that moment, an innocent lamb died so that they would not have to die, and then after they prepared the sacrifice, they would offer it at 3.30 in the afternoon. Um, now, here's the reason why. We're told later in the, in the New Testament why some shedding of blood has to happen. This is Hebrews 9.22. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This was a reminder. Someone has to die. Some blood has to be poured out. Either, either an innocent third party's blood is poured out or you have to pour out your own blood for your sins. And it doesn't take a brain surgeon to realize that I want someone else's blood poured out for me, not my own. Kill the lamb, kill the lamb, take the lamb in my place. Jesus and his followers are celebrating this Passover meal. And during the meal, Jesus gets up and he does something that is totally radical and totally strange. And we get this in Luke chapter 22, verse 19. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took a cup of wine. We have grape juice. He took a cup of wine and he said, this is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Now, go back three years, and we've talked about this just a few weeks ago. When Jesus first enters his ministry, he walks out to where John the Baptist was baptizing, and John looks up and he says these words in John 1.29, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, in this Passover meal, he says, he is now going to take the place of the Passover lamb. Instead of sacrificing animals for sin, he sacrificed himself. This time, an innocent human being, the only innocent human being to ever live, died so that you and I do not have to die eternally. And I want you to notice that God is a God of details. I want you to notice the timing of this in Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 44. By this time, it was noon, so Jesus is on the cross at this point. Darkness fell across the land until 3 o'clock. What time was the Passover lamb offered as a sacrifice? What time was it killed? At three o'clock, it says the light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. Jesus had told them the night before, we're starting a new tradition with my death. And he's told his followers to eat the bread, to drink the cup in remembrance of him. And I bet his followers were thinking, how could we ever forget you? You're the way maker. You're the miracle worker. You're the promise keeper. You're the light in the darkness. How could we forget you? But Jesus knew his disciples better than they knew themselves. Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows we have a tendency to forget. When life gets crazy, when there's a pandemic, when there is a, a, an empty church house, we start worrying about the bills. We start worrying about getting the disease. We start worrying about all kinds of things, and we forget 
the impact of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We become cosmetic Christians or, or hypocritical Christians. We say we believe, but we don't act like we believe. Jesus says, remember me, do it regularly. Doesn't tell us how many times to take the Lord's Supper. He just says, do it regularly. And as you take communion today, you should remember three things. Number one, remember that Jesus' death as a substitute. Jesus never asked us to remember his birthday, but he commanded us never to forget his, his death day. And so I was thinking about this. Happy death day to you. Happy death day to you. Happy death day, dear Jesus. Happy death day to you. It's not a happy death day unless you realize that he's a substitute for you. His death makes it possible for you to be born again spiritually or to have a spiritual birthday. If his blood is applied to the doorposts of our heart, then the Passover angel, the death angel will come and pass over. We'll no longer see the sins that are in our lives. Someone has to pay for your sins. Either the lamb that takes away the sins of the world dies for your sins or you die for your sins. Jesus calls this being born again. He's talking about being born spiritually. See, there's, there's physical birth. We all know about that. Then there's spiritual birth. There's physical death and there's spiritual death. And just like you have a physical birthday, you need to have a spiritual birthday. Why? Well, here's why. If you're born only once, if you're born only physically, then you will die twice. You will die physically, you will die spiritually. But if you've been born twice, that means you have a physical birthday and you also have a spiritual birthday by asking Jesus to forgive your sins and lead your life, then you can only die once. How can this be? Well, the scripture tells us over and over. Here's just a couple of them. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's just like when God told the Israelites to paint the blood on the doorpost. The blood is there, it's offered, but it's not automatically applied. If you were an Israelite and you didn't put the blood on your doorpost, you would pay with the life of your firstborn child. This says that God made him to be sin for us. We have to accept what he did for his payment to be applied to our lives. It's not automatically applied. You have to accept it. Second, uh, 1 Peter 2.24 says this. He himself, talking about Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. You have to choose to accept his sacrifice. You have to choose to die to sin and live for righteousness. And then look at this last phrase by his wounds Jesus wounds you have been healed just like the application of the blood is not automatic you have to choose to do something your healing in Christ is not automatically applied to you you have to choose to do something you have to choose to give him your life and accept his life you have to choose to let him cleanse you to heal you and make you whole now look at first Corinthians 10 16 Paul is talking he says when we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? That word sharing is important. And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? The word sharing is where we get the, the word communion. To participate in the Lord's Supper means we are sharing in the body of Christ and we're sharing with other believers at the same time. Now, the Passover meal had four cups. There were four times when they emphasized something special. The third cup is called the cup of redemption. And redemption has the idea behind it that a person redeems another person. And really it comes from the marriage proposal ceremony in the Hebrew tradition. The, man, the young man and his father would go to the prospective bride's house and meet with her father. They would negotiate the price of the dowry because the, 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 bride of the, the father of the uh, bride was going to lose a 
part of his workforce. And so part of the deal was the new husband and his father had to compensate for that dad losing part of the workforce. They would agree to the amount that was going to be paid for the dowry and, and the, the fathers would shake hands, agree to it. Then the young man would pour a cup of wine. He would walk over to the young lady and he would take a sip and then he would offer her the cup. If she accepted the cup, she was saying, yes, I accept your gift of your life and I give you my gift in return. That's the significance of the cup of redemption. A redeemer pays for you. A redeemer helps you do something you couldn't do for yourself. So at this point in the meal, in the Passover meal, Jesus stands up, takes the cup of redemption, and he says to these men who are around him, he says, will you marry me? And this seems really weird because we don't talk about men marrying men, but Jesus wasn't talking about a, spirit, a, a, a physical marriage. He was talking about a spiritual marriage. He's talking about... The, the church is the bride of Christ. And so when he walks up to those men and he says, we're going to do something new with the redemption cup. I'm offering you my life. And if you take this cup, you are saying to me, I accept your life and I give you my life in return. You're exchanging your life for his life. You're pledging yourself to Christ just as real as if you had pledged yourself in marriage. I still remember December 7th, 1990, when I proposed to Janie. I remember putting the ring in front of her. I felt pretty confident that she loved me and wanted to spend her life with me. But it's still, there was a moment when I slid that ring over there and I said to her, will you marry me? And she just stared at the box. I wasn't exactly sure what she was going to do. She told me later she thought it was going to be earrings and she didn't want to be disappointed because she wanted a ring, not earrings. And when she opened it up and I said, will you marry me? She said, yes. She said, I will accept the gift of your life. I give you my life in return. This ring is a symbol that I wear to remind me that she gave me her life and I gave me, I gave her my life. I gave me her, yeah, yeah, you got it. We gave each other our lives and this is a symbol. The Lord's Supper is a symbol. It is a very sacred symbol. Don't you dare take it lightly. When you drink the cup, you are saying to Jesus, I give you myself again. Every year on May 25th, we, we fist bump, hug, kiss something and say, we do it all again. I still do. Every time you take the Lord's Supper, you're saying, I still accept what you did on the cross and I still pledge my life to you. So I'm married to Janie physically. I'm married to Jesus spiritually. And the Lord's Supper is all about remembering that. Second thing you need to remember is your life does not belong to you. When I pledged my life to Janie, I said that, that there would be no other woman for me except her. She pledged her life to me. She said there would be no other man for her except me. Look at this verse in Romans 12, 1. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. This is the true worship that you should offer. Two times in that verse it says offer. I have them highlighted on the screen or, or Keith highlighted them if you're watching this on Facebook. True worship involves offering something to God. And the reason most of you don't get anything out of worship is you never offer anything to God in worship. If you come to the, to the church, you sit here, you do nothing. Hands in your pocket. You don't sing the words. You don't pray. Some of you are just counting the time until you get out of here. You offer him nothing until it's no wonder that you walk out of here not changed because you didn't offer jack. You offer scraps. It's ridiculous to me that most Christians can't even, or call, those people who call themselves Christians, can't even take one hour out of 168 hours in a week and give that to God. We call it the Lord's day. We don't even give him an hour, much less give him every day of the week. 
It blows my mind. True worship involves offering something, my time, my talents, my treasures. I don't get to offer the scraps to God. If I have some time left over, I'll give you my time, God. That's not how it works. That's not what it means when you take the cup. If I have some talents, I'll use it everywhere in the world, and maybe if I have some time, I'll give you some of my talents. That's not how it works when you take the cup. If I have some treasures, some money, I'll use it on everything else, all of the temporary things. And then God, if I happen to have something left over, I'll give you a nickel or a dime. That is not how it works whenever you take the cup and you offer yourself. I think the Lord just said that's right. This idea goes back to the cup of redemption. When God offers you the cup of redemption, he's not asking for 95% of your life. He's not asking for one hour a week of your life. He's asking for everything. Can you imagine if I had said to Janie on December 7th, 1990, Sweetheart, I'll give you one hour a week. But the other 167 hours, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. She would have been crazy to accept that offer. If I'd said to her, I'll give you one day a week, but the other six days, you, you can't have me. She'd have been crazy to take that offer. Yet that's what we try to get from God week in, week out. I might give you an hour, God. I'm not giving you the rest. Oh, but by the way, let me take the cup of, blood of, of the blood of Jesus and apply it to my life so I don't go to hell. That is not the way it works. Now, God isn't in this to bully you. He's not trying to force you to surrender to him. What he does is he pursues you. And when he gets your attention, and, and let's be honest, most of the time attention comes when we are really going through tough times. When he gets your attention, he says, hey, I want to redeem you. But it will cost you your life. That's the meaning of the cup. And the irony is so many people think that drinking this cup, offering your life to Jesus, enslaves you. This is the only cup that frees you. Drinking the cup of redemption brings freedom. It's the only way to experience freedom. You say, yes, Jesus, I accept what you did on the cross. I accept your life and I give you my life in return. I offer you this. That's the type of worship that makes God smile. So before you take the Lord's Supper today, you need to examine your life how are you doing spiritually? Are you better today spiritually than you were last week or a month ago or a year ago? Do you have a problem with a neighbor or maybe somebody in your family or a coworker? You're supposed to take care of that first. Did you know that there's one time that the Bible says, in fact, Jesus is the one who says it, that it's okay to leave worship. Some of you today, whenever you watch this or this week when you watch this, some of you need to put, push pause you need to go and make something right. Because Jesus said, if you're worshiping me and there at the altar, you're, you're offering, you're, you're, you're giving your offering there. He says, if you remember somebody has something against you, you're to leave your, off, your offering there at the altar. You're to go and make things right and then come back. Now, let me say there's one caveat to that. And that is, if going to them will make their life worse, you don't get to go. If going to them causes problems for them or causes further problems in their family, whatever, you don't get to go. You confess that to God, you lay it at the altar, and then you worship God. But in most cases, we just don't want to obey God. We don't want to go and reconcile with people. If that's the case and you just don't want to reconcile, you don't need to take the Lord's Supper today. However, if you've tried to go and they will not reconcile, you've tried to go and you've tried to do the right thing, that's on them, that's not on you. Feel free to take the Lord's Supper today. We remember Jesus' death. We remember our lives don't belong to us. And then the last thing we remember is Jesus is coming back. He's promised to come back and get us. 
And so he's coming back one day. It's the great hope of every believer that one day Jesus is coming back just as surely as he died on the cross, he rose again, he's gonna come back one day and that's the promise. Look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the message of the Lord's death that he has died for you. Do this until he comes again. So we're preaching a sermon today. The body represents, it's not physically Jesus. It represents that his body was broken for you. The cup is not literally the blood of Jesus. It's symbolic of the, the blood that was poured out. It's symbolic. It's the redemption cup. Now, the Lord's Supper is for Christians, and it's like the Passover for Christians. And so if you're not a Christian, I want to challenge you to think about why you're not a Christian. What is it that's keeping you from coming to Christ? And if you have questions, I welcome those questions. There are people in this church that would love to speak with you. What is it that's keeping you from coming to Christ? Examine your heart. Don't you dare take the Lord's Supper if you know you're not a Christ follower. Now, if you are a Christ follower and you have bitterness in your heart, you don't need to take the Lord's Supper today either because there's sin there. The best thing you could do is confess your sin, and if it, if it makes sense, and if you don't know if you should go to somebody else, talk to somebody who's not involved in the situation, who's, whose emotions are not involved in that decision, and listen to their counsel. If they say it's unwise for you to go, don't go, because you're gonna do more harm than good. But some of you need to confess your sins before you ever take this cup. And if you don't, you need to read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, because Paul said some people are sick and some people have died because they've drunk the Lord's cup in an unworthy manner. They brought judgment on themselves. And the reason we take this so seriously is I don't want you to take the, the Lord's cup and drink it and bring judgment on New Life Community Church. Now, you don't have to be a member of our church. This, the reason I'm doing this is I want you as a family to talk about this. I'm hoping there's all kinds of questions that come from this today so that people can begin to grasp what it means to take the Lord's Supper. Now, last thing, and then we're done. The apostles based their entire faith, their lives on what happened on Easter Sunday when God took the greatest tragedy in human history and turned it into a day that we now call Good Friday. Those disciples learned something from staring at the cross that they did not learn in three years of walking with Jesus. Here it is. Never equate God's silence with God's absence. Just because God is silent doesn't mean that he's absent. When God seems dead, what Easter teaches us is he may be just about to come back to life. Now, I want to tell you that it, when we're in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic, there is a suffering cycle that can be applied to every time you have something difficult that happens in your life. And here it is. Tragedy, that's Good Friday. Darkness, that's the time from Jesus' death all the way until Sunday morning. And then God always, the third thing, he always brings triumph. Good Friday doesn't answer the question of why is there pain in the world. What it demonstrates is evil, that, that evil and suffering are so real and significant to God that he chose to share them, to endure them himself. And when Jesus was on the cross, the psalm that he quoted was Psalm 22, not Psalm 23. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or another translation says, abandon me. Because there when he received the, the sins of the world, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He felt like God had abandoned him. He didn't quote Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of, life, of death, you are with me. He quoted Psalm 22, God, why have you forsaken me? That's the cost. 
It's a free gift, but it's the most expensive free gift that you will ever receive. So when you take the Lord's Supper today, you remember the cost and you remember what you're offering to him. Easter Sunday shows that, it, that suffering will not win in the end. The horrible Friday became Good Friday because Jesus rose up on Easter Sunday. And one day, not today, one day the miracle that, that um, will be applied, the miracle of, of healing will be applied on a global level. All pain, all suffering will cease to exist. Until that day, in the midst of tragedy, you remember what the cup cost Jesus. You remember that the bread was his body broken for you. And you celebrate that you don't have to pay for your sins because Jesus paid for them. I want to pray for us. And then I'm going to let you decide when it's appropriate to take the Lord's Supper. And if you have any questions, please, please email me. If your children have questions, email me at doug at nlccp.com. I welcome your questions. Let's pray together and we'll finish this up. Father, I thank you that uh, you loved a sinner like me. One who played the game. One who... Uh, one who spit on your grave. One who took the Lord's cup in an unworthy manner. It's only by your grace you didn't strike me dead. Father, as long as I have breath, I will proclaim the goodness of God. I will proclaim that you are the bread of life. And I'll proclaim that you're the Lamb of God who came and took away my sins and who offers to take away the sins of all who call on your name. Help us to remember what you died for. Help us to remember that worship is offering something. And then as we take the Lord's Supper today, let us proclaim that you're coming back. We love you, God. We thank you for a chance to, to worship you even from our homes. Even though your enemy thinks he shut down the churches, you've opened up more churches on the planet than have existed in history because so many people are tuning in online and worshiping. Fill those little gatherings with the spirit of the living God and bring life change. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.